welcoming each other, welcoming each other. Thanks so much for doing so. Come on back if you would, and if you have a Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 21. We're going to cover 20 and 21. So Tiffany, in a moment, will read from chapter 21. We've got a few more sermons here in Genesis, then we're going to take a lengthy break. About to complete the Abraham unit of the book of Genesis. Let me ask for God's help, and then Tiffany will read to us from Genesis 21. Father in heaven, thank you for how you've met us already. We pray, Holy Spirit, you would fill us again. You would open the eyes of our hearts to know and understand what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance for us in Christ. So, Spirit, do that, we ask you, in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named, and I will make a, notion, a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes, then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot, for she said, Let me not look on the depth, on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up! Lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Tiffany. I don't know about you, I, I like sandwiches. There's a beauty of a sandwich. You can make anything into a sandwich. Give me two pieces of bread, 
lightly toasted, and any piece of meat or anything at all, and I can make a sandwich. Well, biblical writers often, not often, sometimes <laughs> like to create sandwiches as well. Sometimes they, they take a scene and they bracket it with related stories on either side. And the purpose is really to highlight what's in the middle. You might say to highlight the meat of the sandwich with two pieces of, of bread. We're going to look at chapters 20 and 21. We're going to take a pretty high-level view, since that's a lot of material. But you could think of it as a sandwich. You could structure this as a sandwich. Tiffany read the middle part of the sandwich, the, the meat, you might say. I want to first look at the bread, the two pieces of bread of the sandwich, and then land on that middle portion, and we'll try to put our sandwich together. The two pieces of bread, the, the outer brackets, both have to do with Abraham and a king named Abimelech. And I would call this first piece of bread a glimmer of blessing. Let's call the first piece of bread a glimmer of blessing. Back in chapter 20, Abraham resorts to his previous strategy when feeling endangered someplace. He says, hey, hon, tell them that you're my sister, not my my wife. <laughs> Don't try this at home, right? <laughs> I always wonder, how did that go over? Don't tell them you're my wife. Tell them you're my sister. And so what happens is, in chapter 20, once again, Sarah ends up in the household of another man. Previously it was Pharaoh. Now it's this king, Abimelech. Now that's a problem, of course, at many levels. But in terms of what God is accomplishing in the earth, it's a huge problem because Abraham has just put the promises of God at great risk. Recall some of the context here in Genesis. Back in chapter 12, back in chapter 12, this momentous occasion when God promises to Abraham, Abraham, I promise I'm going to give you a land, this land of Canaan, going to make you into a people vast nation, and through you bring blessing to all peoples of the earth. Now keep those three things in mind. Very important point in your Bible. A promise of a land, a promise of a people, a promise of blessing through Abraham to all peoples of the earth. Well, now that Sarah is in the household of this king Abimelech, all that's at risk. So God intervenes in chapter 20. Look at verse 3 of chapter 20. Verse 3, we read, But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man. How'd you like to have that dream? Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now, Abimelech, Abimelech from there protests Hey, God, this guy said that she was just his sister, and besides, I haven't touched her. And God, in verse 6, says something very interesting. He says, I know you haven't touched her because I kept you from sinning against me. Take that in. Verse 6, I kept you, Abimelech, from sinning against me. The colonial era pastor and theologian Jonathan Edwards once said, absolute sovereignty, 
Absolute sovereignty is what I most love to ascribe to God. Here's absolute sovereignty on display. God reigns so greatly and and minutely, you might say, that somehow he prevents Abimelech from sinning against him because God is protecting his promises. He tells Abimelech, give this guy Abraham back his wife. He will pray for you because he's a prophet of mine. And so we pick it up in Genesis 20, verse 17 and 18. Then we read, then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female servants so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. You see, it turns out God had prevented anyone from conceiving children in Abimelech's entire household, a sign that something was amiss with this gal Sarah being in his household. And so now Abraham prays, and the ladies there bear children once again, which is ironic because Abraham and Sarah still cannot conceive. So, what's starting to happen here in chapter 20? What's starting to happen? Think about those three promises. What's starting to happen? Well, God's promise of blessing through Abraham to the nations is starting to take place. Abraham, the prophet of God, prays at God's instruction, and these ladies are all healed. God is starting to bring a little bit of blessing to the nations through this guy, Abraham. It's just a glimmer, just a glimmer, just just a faint shadow of what's to come, but it's a start. Well, that's the first piece of bread, chapter 20. And then the other piece of bread occurs... Oh, about midway through chapter 21, when we return to Abraham and Abimelech, I would call the second piece of bread a glimmer of the land. A little glimmer of the promised land. See, partway through chapter 1, we return with Abraham and Abimelech, and we read in uh, verse 22, at that time. So here's a connection with what's gone before. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you. God is with you in all that you do. It's very interesting. They are now recognizing God's blessing on this guy, Abraham. They are recognizing the one through whom blessing is supposed to come to the nations. They say, God's blessing is on you. Hey, we've been good to you, so now you be good to us, okay? And Abraham says, all right, but there is one small little thing. There's a, a conflict we have over a well of water. We have a little conflict between us over a well of water. And we, I think we know what this is like. We, we know the importance of water rights in California. And who gets what from the Colorado River and the Sierra Snowpack? And it's like that here in a way. It's, it's a pretty arid place overall. And so having rights to wells of water, consistently flowing wells of water to preserve and water your flocks, preserve your herds, was, was vital. And so they make a solemn agreement. They make a covenant. Abimelech, in effect, 
guaranteeing Abraham legal access to this well of water and implied is probably the ability to pasture his flocks there. Legal access to this well of water. And notice what Abraham does in verse 33 of chapter 21. Verse 33 says, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Abraham plants what is a, a rather stately tree in this in this climate, planting his flag in this spot. And he worships God, saying, you are the, the everlasting God, which is the only place in the Bible that specific name for God is used. The one who exists above and beyond time. No beginning and no ending. The eternal one. But why? Why is Abraham so jazzed about this? Okay, the flock got some water. What's the big deal? Well, think about those promises again. God has just secured for Abraham some legal access to a little bit of the promised land. He's been sojourning through this land for a long, long time. He left home a long time ago, journeying through this land, the hope in his heart, God, this is supposed to be mine someday, given to my descendants. And now, now a little bit of access to this land, this promised land, has been secured. And Abraham seems to recognize this. It's just a glimmer, just a glimmer of the giving of the promised land being foreshadowed. Abraham's experiencing what, what I think I experienced once. Not exactly the same. Driving through the back roads of northern Illinois, I went over a small bridge, and as I approached the bridge, a sign read, Headwaters of the Kishwaukee River. And I thought, cool. Because I know that river in western Illinois, and it's a significant river in western Illinois, so I slowed my car. And I drove over that bridge looking around to survey the headwaters. And I saw a swampland, a just kind of murky, swampy land with maybe a small stream trickling through. And yet from that swampy, murky stream, a significant river flows all the way, I believe, to the Mississippi and the Gulf of Mexico. Well, these two pieces of bread are kind of like that. It's kind of swampy and murky, but it's heading somewhere. It looks unimpressive. There's no, no flashing neon light. Abraham, this is it. It's happening. It's happening. All the way back in chapter 12, you've been waiting. Now it's happening. Nothing like that. But what is forming here, friends, what is forming here is heading somewhere grand and glorious. Abraham, you see, is experiencing something of what we often call the already and the not yet. The already and the not yet. Already a little bit of blessing to the nations. Already a little bit of access to the promised land. But not yet fulfillment of the promises. And that's how things are for us in Christ. 
That's how things are for you. If you are a Christian, you live your life in the already and the not yet, just like Abraham is here. Already knowing this great salvation in Jesus, we just sang about it. Already a new creation in Christ. Already genuinely changed in significant ways, but not yet totally changed. Can you relate? The Christian is truly changed already, not yet totally changed. No, not by a long shot. We still sin. We still struggle with temptation every day. We still get sick, like Matthew and Alana reminded us. We still have sorrows and, and pain and experience loss and, and grief, and maybe you're there right now in the midst of that. And then we experience death. That's the already and the not yet of God's promises in our lives, too. Where, where do you feel that tension right now? I'm curious. It seems to be what Abraham's going through. Where do you experience that tension in your life of the already and the not yet? It's probably whatever you'd say you're waiting for right now. Waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises. Waiting for a perfectly restored body one day. Waiting to have no financial needs, no needs whatsoever. Waiting for transformation in your life, transformation in the marriage, transformation for the kids. Maybe you're waiting for transformation in your parents. I don't know. Waiting for that pattern of sin to be eradicated from your life. Waiting to be no, experience no more temptation whatsoever. Waiting for comfort from that trial you're enduring. Waiting for every tear to be wiped from your eyes. Where are you waiting like that? That's the place where you're experiencing the already and the not yet. Like Abraham is. So here's my question for you. What's going to keep you going through the waiting? What's going to keep you going through that tension? What's going to keep you persevering through the already and the not yet? Well, the middle of the sandwich, I believe, can help you. The, the meat, as it were, can help you. And we can't survey all of this that Tiffany read. I realized that as she was reading this, that we we're going to be at 30,000 feet. But the middle of the sandwich, friends, can help you. See, we've seen, we've seen hints of the promise of a land being fulfilled. We've seen a glimmer of blessing to the nations being fulfilled. What are we still missing? The promise of a people, right? So let's call the meat of the sandwich the child of promise. The child of promise. Now pick it up in chapter 21, verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. Oh, what, what weighty words. What significant words. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. 
And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. They're both pretty old, by the way. (laughs) At the time of which he had spoken to him, about a year earlier. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. So God promised a people to emerge from this elderly couple, and now God is delivering on that promise, and they name him Isaac, meaning he laughs. Do you remember you were here when we studied this? Previously, Sarah laughed in unbelief. Now she laughs with joy. I mean, can you blame them? She's about 90, he's 100. They are laughing with joy. But it's, it's more than that. It's the fact that all the waiting for this child, all the, all the hoping for this child, all of that that they've been enduring, the sleepless nights of wondering, why, God, why have you not given us a child like you promised? All of that over. He laughs. is finally born. The promise of a people is starting to be fulfilled. Now, as Tiffany read, Isaac is weaned, and this is roughly three years old in this culture, roughly three years old. And a feast is thrown, a celebration is thrown, but not everyone is laughing at the feast. Look at chapter 21, verse 9. Look at verse 9. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. So some background here, right? Hagar, the Egyptian maidservant, is the one with whom Abraham had sought to conceive a son at Sarah's urging as they sought to fulfill God's promises on their own. And that son, Ishmael, is about 16 years old now, and he's laughing at the feast. And the idea here is not laughing with joy. It's more laughing with mockery. It's more laughing with scorn. You might see a footnote in your Bible that says this. He's laughing with some kind of maybe mild opposition. And that's not a good sign. That this is not going to good places. So we read in verse 10. So she, Sarah, said to Abraham, cast out... Cast out the slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Now keep those words in mind. Cast out the slave woman and her son. Sounds harsh, and it is, to be sure. And yet, God will go on to confirm this to Abraham, for, again, he is protecting the promises. Now, if we read on, we'd see God providing for Hagar, providing for Ishmael, in fact saying that from Ishmael a nation will emerge, okay? So it's not all is bleak here. The point, though, is that the line from Isaac is being preserved for, through the line of Isaac will emerge a people, the nation of Israel, and Israel will be, as Martin Luther once said, a womb through which God will bring forth a Savior. That's why this is so significant. The long-awaited son, Isaac, will eventually lead to the long-awaited Savior, Jesus, the blessing to the nations himself. So friends, catch the sandwich with me. I know we're covering a lot of ground. 
you've got Abraham and Abimelech and a glimmer of promise of blessing to the nations. You've got over here Abraham and Abimelech again and a glimmer of the promised land. And in the middle, you've got the birth of Isaac, the sending away of Ishmael, and the start of the promised people. Now, what does all of that mean for us? It's a pretty big sandwich. What does all of that mean for us? Well, sometimes the New Testament will refer specifically to parts of the Old Testament, and there you have divinely given insight into what this means for you and me right now. Maybe more insight than perhaps we would have gained otherwise. And that's what happens with Genesis 21. The Apostle Paul, he, he looks to this scene when he's writing to believers in Jesus in the city of Galatia. And these Galatian believers were adding circumcision to the cross of Christ for their standing before God. So adding human duty to complete the divine rescue. Adding human effort to divine grace. And that's mixing oil and water, right? At least as a way of salvation, human effort and divine grace don't go together. So in context, the apostle's been talking about adoption. He's saying, you Galatian believers, God has made you his sons and his daughters. I want you to be secure in that relationship. And then to help them, he looks back to Genesis 21. He looks back to the meat of our sandwich. And he says, Hagar, mother of Ishmael, represents the old covenant with God, which people were distorting into a religion of human effort. But Sarah represents the new covenant with God in Christ by which we approach God through faith alone, by His grace alone, in, in Christ alone. So he's saying, he sets up this contrast with his two mothers in, in Genesis 21 and says, you could think of them like two ways to approach God. And then he says this in Galatians 4.28. Now you brothers, looking out at these Christians, you brothers and sisters like Isaac, are children of promise. And it's interesting. Isaac was the forerunner of the nation of Israel. But here, the Apostle Paul says, you non-Jewish believers in Jesus, you too, you are like Isaac, children of God's promise. You who are in Christ, you should identify with Isaac in Genesis 21. You who are in Christ, you should, you should see yourself in Isaac in Genesis 21. You too are children of God, children of God by grace in his promises. You see, when he says you're a child of God by promise, that's what he means. It's by God's grace alone. And then he goes on to explain that in Gen uh, sorry, Galatians 4, like this. Here comes our passage. What does the scripture say? Cast out, cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Sound familiar? That's Genesis 21. So, brothers, let me draw a conclusion for you. We are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. And here's his application. For freedom, Christ has set us free. 
Stand firm, therefore, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery in your religion of human effort. He's saying you are a child of God by God's grace, so stand firm in that grace. In other words, don't seek to add anything to the cross of Christ for your standing before God. God has made you his beloved child by his grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Good news, right? Let me put it like this. Let me sum it up. Simply put, stand firm in the grace of God, making you a child of God. If you're thinking right now, Tab, this is like a massive sandwich. This is an enormous hoagie. Here's a bite size. Stand firm in the grace of God, making you, friends, a child of God. But I realize, I realize that's sometimes easier said than done. I have been rereading a little book called The Gospel-Centered Life by Bob Thune. My son Ryan and I are reading it together this summer. It's a small book. We were talking about it a couple weeks ago. And the first chapter asks a very profound question. It says, is the cross of Christ growing for you or shrinking for you? That's a handle on what Paul is saying in light of Genesis 21. Is the cross of Jesus Christ growing in your heart and mind, or is it kind of shrinking for you? It goes on to talk about how we, as we go on in the Christian life, hopefully we become more and more aware of God's holiness and God's greatness, and commensurately more and more aware of our own sinfulness, and so the cross is getting bigger for us. Grace is getting more amazing for us. But as it highlights, another possibility is perhaps even more prevalent. As we grow, as we mature, which we ought to do, as we make progress, we start thinking that we need this gospel less and less. We start thinking, I'm a pretty good person on my own. And the cross of Christ starts to shrink in our hearts. Where is that for you, friends? As I read that, I thought, I think I can relate to, at times, a shrinking cross. I think I can relate to sometimes grace becoming less amazing for me. How about for you? In your experience as a Christian right now, is, is the cross of Christ growing for you? Or is it perhaps shrinking for you? You see, we need, as children of promise, as the Apostle Paul described, we need to have grace become, friends, more and more and more amazing. To see yourself like Isaac, a child of the promise, a child of the promise, God fulfilling his promises, and I'm part of that by his grace alone. For that changes everything. My daughter, Abigail, reminded me that I've shared this story before, but I think it bears repeating. From the book Les Miserables, the main character is Jean Valjean. He has spent 19 years in prison for stealing bread and a few escape attempts. 
He's finally released, and Valjean is rejected by people because they see in his passport that he is a former convict. Then he's taken in by a kindly bishop, and they have dinner, and in the bishop's home, they use the good silver to serve the dinner, and Valjean notes the good silver. For then, that evening, he takes the good silver, and he flees. Well, the police later capture Jean Valjean and bring him back to the bishop, and they say, good bishop, we found this man with all of your silver, and he claims that you gave it to him. And the bishop says, Jean Valjean, why, why did you only take the plates? Why did you not take the candlesticks also? I also gave you the candlesticks. The candlesticks are very valuable. I am angry with you, Jean Valjean. You were supposed to take the plates and the candlesticks. And he goes and has the candlesticks put into Jean Valjean's sack as well. So take the candlesticks also. And of course he's shocked. And the police leave. And the bishop approaches him and says, Jean Valjean, my brother. I love that. Jean Valjean, my brother. You belong no longer to evil, but to good. Listen, it is your soul I am buying and giving it to God. And grace was so amazing for him in that moment through that bishop that he was transformed. Friends, for us to stand firm as children of the promise, isn't that what we need as well? To keep coming back to that reality. I'm sure Jean Valjean would have played that scene over and over in his mind. Are we doing the same? Are we doing the same with the one who gave his life to purchase our souls and give us to God? Friends, are we doing the one with the, the same with the one who, who purchased us not with silver or gold, as Peter said, but with his own precious blood? He, he bought us with his life, death, and resurrection by his ransom-paying sacrifice. And he said to us, you know, take the candlesticks too, Tad. You need everything I've done for you to live in the good of being a child of God by God's grace. So friends, put the sandwich together here. Put the sandwich together. As the Apostle Paul said, cast out. <laughs> Cast out a shrinking cross. <laughs> Behold the good news for your soul today. These headwaters may seem murky and swampy, but they're heading somewhere grand and glorious. That means you can take heart through the already and the not yet. You can take heart through the waiting you're enduring. You can take heart as you wait for restored health or transformed sin nature, entirely having sin removed, entirely having temptation removed, comforted as tears are wiped from your eyes. You can take heart until then because you know where all this is going and you know how it gets there. It gets there by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's how it happens for children of the promise. Grace alone, 
through faith alone in Christ alone. In other words, the key is the middle of the sandwich. Stand firm. Stand firm in the grace of God as a child of promise. For God has made you his child by his grace. So to help us, to help us stand firm like that, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. Those who are serving us can be prepared to do so. The music team would come also.